You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. So the location of this bottomless pit is in the lower parts of the earth. It's a place that is sealed so tight that there's no escape except by God's divine permission. Folks, there is a day coming, this is fearful, when the prison house of demons will be opened and evil spirits led by Satan himself will be released to inflict torment upon unrepentant men. The great abyss is described as terrible and is dreaded and feared by even the demons themselves. It's full of torment and evil and it's everlasting. And as Pastor Mike teaches today, there's no escaping it unless by God's grace. After the tribulation, John describes a time of torment when the abyss is opened and all that is in there will be released on earth. It'll be a literal hell on earth for all who've rejected Jesus. The Bible is clear. There'll be judgment for sin. But take comfort. By believing in Jesus, you'll escape this. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 9 for his message, Hell on Earth. right to it and why don't you grab your Bibles and we'll pick up where we left off last week and in the progression of that series we now move into Revelation chapter 9 and this message the title is hell on earth so to begin with this morning I guess we should back up a little bit in the progression of events here in our study in this book of the Bible the book of Revelation we've already moved into that second series of judgments known as the trumpet judgments. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you will remember that the first group of judgments unleashed upon a rebellious, unrepentant race of men during the seven years of tribulation were known as the sealed judgments. And by this time, by the time that is we move into Revelation chapter 9, because of those sealed judgments, the physical earth has been decimated earthquake faults simultaneously around the world fracture. Remember, we've talked about this. Mountains have crumbled. Islands have flee. Great geographical changes have taken place globally. The earth is plummeted by falling meteorites, as is depicted in chapter 6. We also discovered that one quarter of the earth's population has now perished through wars, famine, and disease. 
And because of these cataclysmic judgments, great atmospheric changes have taken place. The sun and the moon fail to give their light, making, if you think about it, food production absolutely impossible. Our fresh water supplies, because of the chemical makeup of those meteorite showers, have poisoned our rivers, our wells, and our reservoirs. Listen, food and water is horribly scarce. Listen, this is a very bleak picture that's being painted for us here in this section of the book of Revelation. But listen, don't be alarmed. And why shouldn't we be alarmed? Well, simply, if you're a believer, you're not going to be here during this time. You're not going to be upon the earth during this period of time known as the seven years of tribulation. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've drawn your attention to the reasons why I believe that. And so I just want to kind of go back and rehearse some of them uh, once again. And I, I hope that it serves as a great encouragement to you. So let me give you three specific reasons, just to remind you uh, once again. These are several reasons why I believe that the church is not going to be here during the seven years of tribulation. First of all, under the heading of the coming of the Son of Man in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 21, in verse 36, and all of the events that are being described there prior and leading up to verse 36, describing the events that will actually be taking place during the tribulation and prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself said, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all of these things. What things? The judgments that are being depicted for us here in the book of Revelation. That will come to pass, Jesus goes on, and to stand before the Son of Man. So, think about it then. Why ask us to pray if we couldn't escape the seven years of tribulation? So that's the first reason. Secondly, let me give you another cross-reference. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, in verse 9, there we are told, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but rather to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to impress upon you that there are two different types of wrath. One is initiated by the devil through sin, resulting in all of the chaos and confusion that exists within our world uh, today. That, so that's one variety of wrath. And then the other is the wrath of God, poured out upon a disobedient, lawless, ungodly people. And listen, that's exactly what the seven years of tribulation is all about. And also, throw this into the mix. Think about this as well. The, uh, for example, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, that God was judging. God initiated that judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah because of their uh, wickedness on those twin cities. But remember Abraham's discussion with God prior to him pouring out that judgment, and he brings to God the question, would God be fair to judge the righteous with the unrighteous in those cities? And what was the answer to that question? No. So what did God have to do? Well, he had to deliver just Lot out of the cities before he could uh, judge them. Another reason why I believe that the church is not going to be here during the seven years of tribulation, remember, as we've been going through this book of the Bible, 
The first six chapters of Revelation, as I've mentioned, follow a chronological order. And at the end of the church age, chapters 2 and 3, and then beginning in chapter 4, the church is raptured, and in heaven, before the tribulation period actually begins, there in chapter 6. Now, add to this, this list that I've just shared with you, and I want to share with you another reason why I believe that the church is not going to be here during the seven years of tribulation. I would appeal back to chapter 8 in verse 13. And notice there, we are told that these things shall come upon the inhabitants of the earth. Do you see that there in chapter 8 and verse 13? Now there are those who believe, and I would place myself in their company, that this is actually a moral expression. Once again, these things shall come upon the inhabitants of the earth, the inhabitants of the earth. And so there are those who believe that this is literally a moral expression referring to a class of people. What kind of a class of, of people? Well, those whose hearts and minds and hopes are set upon earthly uh, things. Those individuals who reject Jesus, who live for this life on earth, caring nothing about heaven and the life to come. They're not concerned about spiritual things at all. And so, notice, he's addressing those individuals who will be here during those seven years of tribulation, not the church. So I believe this is just one more reason why I believe that the church will not be here and will not go through the Great Tribulation period. Well, anyway, if you think it's been bad up until this point, you know, describing all of the different cataclysmic judgments that have taken place, its effect upon the world, and listen, let me tell you something, it has been bad. Wait until the next judgments are poured out. Okay, so that sets the stage for this Bible study, so let's get right to it. And let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 9, and let's read verses 1 through 12. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So if you're keeping count, this would be the blast of the fifth trumpet, which produces that which is recorded for us here in verse 1. And we are introduced to this uh, star, notice, that falls from heaven. And I, we'll talk some more about that in just a moment. And then in verse 2, And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened, because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months." Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. 
and they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sounds of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and they, uh, there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for a period of five months. And they had as a king over the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. Verse 12, one woe is past, behold, still two more blasts of the trumpet woes are coming after these. Okay, so let me break this down for you. And that brings us to our first point, and that is the bottomless pit. Okay, let's go back to verse 1. There we are told that John saw a star, notice, falling out of the heaven. Now, I don't believe that this is a reference to a celestial star or body. It is, I believe, an unnamed personality. It's definitely a personage. And this is made clear because of the use of the masculine pronouns. Notice both in verses 1 and 2, him and he. Okay, so here's a clue. The tense of the verb fallen there in verse 1. If you're reading out of a revised version, the New King James would be also considered a revised version. Notice there in verse 1 we have that word fallen. That word fallen tells us that this is a star that has already fallen from heaven. Okay, so keep that in mind. And now here's another clue. And as a cross-reference, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 10 and verse 18, we read, I beheld Satan as lightning falls from heaven. So that particular portion in Luke's Gospel is referring to the fall of Lucifer, from heaven, through which he became Satan. And by the way, we have the record of that event recorded for us in the book of Isaiah. In fact, quickly, why don't you go ahead and turn there with me to the book of Isaiah, and let's pick up in chapter 14, chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. And this described for us the fall of Lucifer. Verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high, and then he goes on, but you rather shall be brought down to Sheol, or hell, to the lowest depths of the pit. Okay, so we have the record here, recorded for us, of the fall of Satan. And so I believe that this star that's being referred to, let's go back to our text, back in the, the book of Revelation, chapter 9, in verse 1. I believe that this star that's being uh, mentioned here is none other than Satan, the enemy of God and man, and that this reference is to his original fall, when it mentions the star falling from heaven. So, now the devil, according to 
the text, what's recorded here for us, is given, notice, the key to the bottomless pit and has permission to open it. Now, what is this bottomless pit? What does it represent? What is it all about? Well, I, according to what the scriptures tell us, that this is a place of fierce, fiercely incarcerated demons. But it's also a place that is dreaded by demons. Remember in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 8, where Jesus is face-to-face with the Gadarean person who is possessed with a legion of angels. And so Jesus approaches and addresses them, and they realized who Jesus was, and in their discussion with our Lord, they declared, Luke chapter 8 and verse 31, and I believe in this discussion, they reference this bottomless pit. So in chapter 8 and verse 31, and they begged Jesus that he would not command them to go out into the abyss or the bottomless pit. So this is a location that is feared by uh, demons. It's a dreaded place that is feared by demons. Let me give you another cross-reference that kind of also gives us some additional information about this bottomless pit. In the book of Jude, it's only one chapter long, in verse 6, referring to this bottomless pit, we are told, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain or their first estate, but left their own abode, he, that is God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And I believe that that is a reference to this bottomless pit. So the location of this bottomless pit is in the lower parts of the earth. It's a place that is sealed so tight that there's no escape except by God's divine permission. Folks, there is a day coming, this is fearful, when the prison house of demons will be opened and evil spirits led by Satan himself will be released to inflict torment upon unrepentant men. Literally, it will be, and this is where we get our title of this message from, Hell on Earth. And notice, as soon as the pit, let's go back to our text, is open, it omits this obnoxious smoke there in verse 2. It's sort of like the cloud of an atomic blast or a volcanic eruption. And thus a strange and awesome blackness fills the air, and the atmosphere becomes black pitch. Okay, and that brings us now to our second point, and that is death takes a holiday. Now, out of that darkness that I've just mentioned, comes these demons to do their fearful work of tormenting bodies and souls of those who willfully reject God's Son. And in this day, they'll feel the darkness and anguish of hell, that is, the men who are alive and are on the face of the earth, and they'll want to flee from it, but folks, at that time, it will be too late to be able to do that. These demonic creatures... And notice they are depicted for us like locusts. So the idea here is that they are great in number. Notice there in verse 3, 
the mention of the locusts, these demonic creatures like locusts, combined in them the features, notice, of a horse, a man, and a woman, a lion, and a scorpion. Notice there in verses 7 through uh, 9. Now let's just, for the sake of further describing them, let's just consider just one aspect of these demonic creatures, and that is the scorpion. I want you to, for a moment, just think about a scorpion. And when a scorpion strikes, think about the effect that it might have on a, a person who is struck by a scorpion. The venom of a scorpion sets the veins and nervous system on fire, causing that individual excruciating pain. And also notice the duration of this torment. It just doesn't happen just for a few moments or a few hours, but it goes on for a period of five months, according to verse 6. What does it say? And they were not given authority to kill them, but rather to torment them for five months. And then we further read that their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And so the victims of this agony become so weary, they long to die, to be released of their suffering. But, notice here, according to our text, death eludes them. Sort of like death takes a holiday. Listen, gang, what mercy that believers today can escape this invasion of the underworld. Thank God. You know, this seems to coincide with, this is interesting, this picture that's being played out for us here in the first part of, of chapter 9 of the book of Revelation. It seems to coincide with a prophecy that's recorded for us in the book of Joel in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 11. Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountain. A people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots, over mountaintops they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain, all faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. 
You can listen online at oneplace.com by searching for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you have any questions for us, just give us a call at 212-247-1877. We'd be honored to pray for you too, so feel free to let us know how we can do that for you. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links at harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place.